You're listening to the Road to Wisdom podcast, weaving stories told by wonderful minds about all things motherhood, health, intimacy, politics, nature, and everything in between. Join us on an adventure discovering unique experiences that we can learn from to enhance the ways in which we live. We are your hosts, Chloe and Kishia. Hey guys, welcome to the Road to Wisdom podcast. We just wanted to do a quick little plug. We've um, got so many new followers and we're so excited. We've had quite a bit of growth recently and we would love to just put a shout out for everyone to help us grow our community. So we would love if you're enjoying the content to like our stuff, if you can share it on our um on Instagram or any other social media platforms and also subscribe and give us a review. It really, really helps us to secure epic guests, segue, like my dear friend Kat Richardson (laughs) here today, which I'm so happy to be able to talk to you. Um, We've known each other for a while now, haven't we? I was thinking about this last night. Um, The first time I met you guys, we were were all living in LA. Uh, Yes. And um, you and Alan had... Brenton and I over for breakfast one morning. I remember, yes. And we only had I one remember, kid. <laughs> right. I remember that. And I remember I had, I was a Costco connoisseur and I had Aussie bites <laughs> yeah, as I remember. our spread, as part of our spread. And I think I won you over then. Did yeah. I? Did yeah, I you totally <laughs> did. But I remember like you had all the boys, so you had all three kids. But I think, <clears throat> I think you might have had, I don't know how young your youngest would have been then. That, but that was 2017. Yeah. And so Amory would have been two. My yeah. youngest would have been. But you had three and I had one. Oh, and no, I was like, and whoa, oh, yeah. that is And a now lot. you surpassed <laughs> yeah, me. And now I surpassed you and have four. <laughs> yeah. And, um, oh, my gosh. Yeah. We've kind of crossed paths so many times all over the world because Alan, your husband, has worked with Brenton so many times now. I feel like they've done a fair bit together now. But, um, <clears throat> The most recent, they were on Titans together, obviously. So we were in Canada together a fair few times and um, we got to spend some time together and I got to know you more and more. And yes. it's I loved learning from you how to settle into a place. Like I remember you signing up for pottery classes and teaching us what you learned. Um, is that what you call them, pottery classes? Yeah. Or do you call it something else? Okay. Yeah. Um, I remember thinking to myself, ah, you can build a life while in transition, you know? Yeah, because it's it's not easy, hey, especially when you've got to move somewhere every however long the shoot is. So it could be like two right. months. It could be like eight months. Absolutely. You're there long enough to need a routine, but not long enough to want to lay down roots, yeah. you know? And it's a place so like, painful to uproot. Yeah, a place like Toronto where you go so frequently. And so you've done the tourist stuff, but you're like, oh, I'm only going to be right. here for a couple of months. <laughs> What am I going to do? But anyway, I really wanted to talk about, um, I really wanted to hear about your own, uh, yours and Alan's story and how it all came to be. And um, yeah, just the trials and tribulations and the journey of parenting, because I know we're on the same, a very similar journey, you and I, of parenting and um, supporting our husbands while they're in this crazy, crazy, crazy world of being an actor and um yeah so I would love for you to tell us about the start of you and Alan all right yeah well okay so we met in 2000 I would have been 16 
and he was 17. And we haven't been together since then, but we certainly dated, uh, you know, at the beginning. I'll never forget, um, I was in a ballet class and he was a musical theater major. Um, and he, it was required that he take a certain amount of dance credits for his major. So, you know, he was in my dance class basically. And I'll never forget seeing him for the first time in the studio. I turned to my friend Miriam and I said, who is that? <laughs> and uh, I remember actually, this is, this is just me and my goldfish uh, type memory. The next week I saw him again and I said to Miriam, what's his name again? <laughs> um, but I didn't forget after the second time. Um, and yeah, I mean, he at some point came up to me and asked me about, I, I figure skated at the time, or I was, uh, you know, for a good portion of my teen years, I, I trained in figure skating. And uh, he asked me about that. And um, we just got to chatting. And, you know, that first summer, he thought it was a fling. And I didn't. <laughs> and uh, he ended it at the end of the summer. And I've made him pay for it ever since. <laughs> oh, so, I bet he regrets it. Oh, yeah. I mean, he also, he still justifies it. He's like, you lived 30 minutes away. I couldn't afford <laughs> gas to get to it. Like, for him, 30 minutes was, you know, I lived in a very small town. We would drive 30, 40 minutes just to go watch a movie in a movie theater. You know, I grew up on a farm, like 90 acres. I was used to going like going anywhere there was no walking anywhere you know if we needed to be in civilization so um I was like 30 minutes that's nothing I mean I would drive 30 minutes to the ballet to the class, end of your you know? driveway <laughs> yes exactly yes so uh yeah he he says it was about the you know the economics like for him as a high schooler 30 30 minutes of gas money wasn't practical um but yeah and then later on in college a few years later um I was at the University of Florida and he was actually modeling down in Miami and um, through a mutual friend, we got back in touch and it was kind of history after that. So, My gosh. So how far, how long after that did you guys get married? We got married in 2006. I think we dated a year and then we were engaged a year. So it was like two and a half years of college was that so I graduated college I think let's see our anniversary is May 12th so I graduated a week before that what is that May 5th we got married May 12th we went on our honeymoon and then we moved to LA you know right after that so it was like a lot of life changes all so were you all like 19 I would have been 21 21 or 22 and yeah. when so when you moved to LA was Alan already like in that Hollywoodish scene was that like the traje trajectory of his life already? Yes, I would say so. I mean, um, he started. He actually moved out to LA for music. He was he's very musical. He that's his first love, um, and he moved out there for music and then he and modeling. I remember it was kind of like he modeled in Miami, and I remember his agent there. He heard about a guy moving to LA and his agent was kind of help, not helping him, but he was getting him in contact with people out in LA to help him get work out there. And Alan said, Hey, maybe I want to do that. Oh, but I guess I'm leaving this part out. I interned, my sister moved out to LA before anybody. And I interned 
with her at Comedy Central um, for two summers. And Alan came out to visit me one year when I was interning there. And he realized he would like to build something in LA. So he, I think he saw the opportunity there. Um, but yeah, music was his first love. And I'm, I'm remembering this uh, time when we were, we must have been engaged. And have you, Chloe, when you were out there, did you ever go to the Third Street Promenade? No, I didn't. No, okay. It's like, it's just like a um, popular shopping area, you know, outdoors, lots of street performers and stuff. And I remember saying to Alan, he had an album at the time that he self-produced. Um, I was like, we're going to go to the promenade and we're going to make hundreds of copies of your CD. And we're going to sell them there. And so I forced him to do this. We got, this was at the time, like you had a boom box, you know, a CD <laughs> player, like this thing. And uh, we took that out there. We realized we didn't have an extension cord to plug the boom box in. So we had to like go to a Home Depot, go get a power cord, got it all set up in the middle of this street that people are walking and, you know, we have this box of CDs and I'm like, I'm forcing him to do this. Um, I guess I just, I believed in him that much, you know, it was like, we're, uh, I see this, this is what you're meant to do. Let's go do it. And this guy walked up to us who looked, he was like dressed kind of like a clown. And he was like, excuse me, do you have a permit for this? (laughs) You know, we didn't know what he was talking about. It turns out everybody there who's like a street performer had to get a permit and, you know, was legitimately performing business in certain slots, like two to 4 p.m. You'll be doing your clown act, you know? So we were like totally going rogue, stepping on everybody's toes doing this and had no idea. We felt so bad. We like packed up everything and left. <laughs> but um, but I think we sold a few CDs. Like I remember- and that's where it all started. <laughs> <laughs> that's where it all started, yeah. That's when Alan knew- um, I'm pretty serious about your career. We're going to do what it takes. <laughs> oh my God. That's amazing. And what yeah. were you doing at this time? So you were in so LA. That would, yeah, that would have been a summer that I was interning. I think I interned at Comedy Central. Well, I interned one year and then I was a temp another summer between college. So I went to the University of Florida. I studied finance and Russian. And then in the summer, I would go out and visit my sister in LA, basically. Um, Did you say you studied Russian finance? I studied finance and I minored in Russian. Wow. Kat, that could come in pretty handy in the future, if you know what I mean. I know, no kidding. Except for the fact that I've forgotten almost every single bit of it. I think my greatest fear is somebody coming up knowing that I studied Russian, coming up and talking to me in Russian, like assuming that I still remember any of it. Um, oh my gosh. Because I just be, haven't practiced it. It should be easy but I in Toronto. There's so many Russians in Toronto. That's true. And also LA. LA yeah. actually has a heavy Russian population. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I actually got to the point in college where I was like dreaming in Russian. But <laughs> You know, gone. you've made it when you're <laughs> dreaming in that language. I know. <sighs> I know. Um, it's amazing, though. It's also such a testament to how the brain works, how quickly we can adapt one way or the other, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so after you guys had great success selling Alan's CD. Yeah. Um, some bootleg CDs. Yeah. Had he, had he booked, like, any bigger jobs? Or not any bigger jobs, just, like, any acting yeah. gigs then, by then? Yes. I remember he worked on a movie called The Butcher, <laughs> um, 
which was a very low budget horror film. Um, and I think that was his first thing, or maybe it was Aquaman on Smallville, but those two things came very quickly. Um, mm. Yeah, and I remember, I mean, I remember when he called me to tell me he got Aquaman. I was at college and, you know, jumped up and down screaming when he told me that he got it. You know, it was really fun. Um, but those, uh, those, Aquaman came really fast and luckily was a, uh, I mean, I wouldn't say a steady thing because it was a guest star appearance, but he got to be in a few seasons, you know, as a guest. And that was a nice start to his career. Yeah. Mm. When did you guys, when did you guys have you get pregnant? Like it mustn't have been that we far waited. after. Yeah. Well, we waited a little while. We got married in 2006 and we had Caleb in 2012. Yeah. Okay. So, and that was actually intentional. Um, Can I ask to- how old were you when you had your first? How old was I? 2012. I was born in 1984. What is that? 28? <laughs> Twenty nine. Yeah. Sorry, okay. I don't know anything about my life. <laughs> Brain. I just float around. Um, I if was you ever forget, if you ever forget, you could just Google yourself. It says that. Yeah, yeah. It I says so. that you um got married when you were seventeen, and <laughs> yeah, um, a whole bunch of other really weird, not true information. <laughs> yeah, Wait, wiki. is that for real? Yeah. Oh my gosh, really? Yeah. And I, I, I'm pretty oh, sure wow. it says that you were born in like 1990 or something. <laughs> what? No, I was yeah. born in 1984. So oh this my is gosh, a note. If anybody Googles like people that they yeah. think that mm-hmm. they want to know, it's not going to be true. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, that is crazy. But I don't really want to Google myself. It's like, <laughs> Come on, I have, give a little, it a try. I have PTSD from that kind of thing. <laughs> I know. It's really daunting. Um, yeah. So after you guys had Calum, which was obviously something that you guys planned how did you go how did you guys navigate parenting a newborn living in LA Alan obviously had a couple of like he'd worked a fair bit by then um yeah how was it um gosh well we didn't stay for long I know that I know so Caleb was too okay the the birth of Caleb which I'm not gonna like go into all the details um I was pregnant Alan booked Hunger Games, which was such a huge opportunity. Hunger Games filmed in Atlanta. And Caleb's due date was like September 22nd. He ended up coming September 18th. But um, Alan was supposed to be, he, he was torn on whether or not to take it because he knew that it meant that he might miss the birth of Caleb. And I was like, this is similar to the CD story. This is too big of an opportunity. You have to go. It's fine. Women used to have babies on the side of the road. I can do this, you know, no problem. (laughs) Um, So I was ready to give birth by myself. (laughs) I'm just now realizing what a daunting uh, process that is. Yeah, Um, yeah. but it just so happened. I can't remember the details of why there was a hiatus with Hunger Games. But for some reason, there was a hiatus with Hunger Games that it was two weeks long. Alan got to come home. I had Calum in that two-week window. And then he had to go back. So when Calum was about two or three weeks old, um, I actually flew from LA to Florida, which is where my parents live and his parents live. 
And I spent my maternity leave there um, to have the extra help. And uh, in Florida, we're, I say Florida, people automatically think Miami, but we're actually in Northern Florida, like near Alabama, which is where the accent comes from. Um, so it's not a far drive from Atlanta. It's about four or five hours. Um, so I was able to go up to Atlanta quite a bit with Caleb as a newborn and visit him while he finished up Hunger Games. Wow. But I mean, I'm talking all technical details. What was it like? I feel um, like though internally? you just painted the picture of what it's like to be oh, yeah, a yeah, mother yeah. or so. a pregnant mother partner to an actor. Yeah. Yes. There is no. You're right. I mean, yeah. you basically, this sounds depressing, but it's not, especially when, like, I'm very enthusiastic about Alan's career. I believe in him more than any, you know, like, I know what he's capable of and I want all wonderful things for him. Um, but you basically prepare yourself. You just assume they're not going to be there, <laughs> you know, yeah. and then you don't, then you're not disappointed. Right. Yeah. Um, no, cause there's no point. There's no point in always resisting what all those possibilities are because my favorite thing about their jobs, and I'm talking about Brenton and Alan's, mm. is that the possibilities are endless. You know, the sky is the limit. You never know when you're going to get a call about some yeah. amazing project that they can be a part of. And I mean, that also comes with a lot of disappointments when you think something's going to happen, then it doesn't. Um, but because of that sky's the limit mentality, um, I just feel like the cost is worth it when it comes to having to do things on my own occasionally. Um, yeah, I just feel like it's worth it. That's going back to flying at two weeks postpartum. Oh, yeah. That's huge. I um, Because I went on my first flight four weeks postpartum. And Did you? Yeah. And like I obviously didn't have a lot of the information back then that I have now and we've been talking a lot on you know that postpartum period being like a it's you're so open and you're so vulnerable and like just like to information to the elements to all of that stuff which you kind of like feel it more as you have more babies mm. <laughs> but absolutely to like you especially like because you were still quite young like how was it like did you notice being on a flight when you're like just like your whole like everything's so expansive and like you're still kind of in that warped phase of postpartum with a newborn I mean I was a, I'm a germaphobe every time I have a newborn baby <laughs> okay but okay yeah like being on a flight and around other people and having other people's like you're so um open to other people's energy as well I feel like right. it can be quite a it's a, yeah, a big deal. Just, just the flight That's by itself. <laughs> you know, I probably thought of that for the first time, maybe around COVID. I thought, oh yeah, I feel <laughs> when Caleb was two weeks old, maybe that was such a good idea. Like maybe I should have waited a little longer. I had no idea. I think I was in such survival mode. Like I needed to be around other humans to be able to keep both me and my baby alive. That it was like, I have to get to my parents, mm, yeah. no matter what, you know? Um, but um, yes, I remember, I actually remember the kindness of the woman sitting next to me. It was one of the first times I ever splurged and bought a first class ticket because I thought, 
I need the space to mm. be able to hold the baby good, and everything. Good plan. And I, yeah. And I had a woman next to me, a, a little old grandmother type, like she was probably in her seventies, maybe eighties. And she was so sweet. It was like, Oh, it makes me tear up just thinking about it because I like had no idea what I was in for, you know, had no, I didn't know what I was doing. And, um, she immediately offered to, she was like, if you at any point need to go to the bathroom, just let me know and I'll hold them. And, you know, it was just so sweet to get that kind of um, village type feel of somebody who yeah. actually cares, you know. Um, yeah, some people really pay a lot of money for a doula, a postpartum <laughs> doula. You paid for a first uh, class flight to Florida. <laughs> oh, right. But like, right, I reckon exactly. the granny part was the, the granny part was what that you paid was for. The, yeah. <laughs> right. Yes, you're exactly right. Yeah, and you know, I think about now just how often you see complaints online about kids making a noise in a on a flight, you know, and how um, cruel it can be out there, especially for moms. You know, Alan goes around with the boys and it's like there's a parade. Oh, look at you doing that for your kids. Oh my gosh. And when I go out with the boys, it's kind of like, I better not hear a peep out of him. You know, <laughs> it, it, that's what yeah. it feels like at least. Yeah. And, uh, or it's that's so the reaction true, isn't it? Like if you yeah. were out with oh. like all the boys, all three boys, everyone would be like, oh, you got your hands full. Oh my God, I don't know how you do it. But if Alan goes out, what a hero. Look at him. <laughs> oh my God, he's nailing this. What a good dad. Yeah, great dad. What a great yes. dad. Oh God, we can all relate to that. Yes. Hey? yes, yes. It's very, yeah, it's so true. And I think about these expectations for kids. I mean, look, I don't want, nobody wants to be on a plane with a crying kid. Um, but the parent is the one who wants to be there the least, you know, <laughs> it's like, it's the most painful experience. Um, so yeah, to be extended that kindness was just so sweet. Mm. And, uh, and she even told me, it's so funny too. It almost, it feels like divine almost. She said that she flew with a newborn as well when, when she had a newborn at, at one point in her life. And um, so she knew how it felt. And I just thought, oh my gosh, how divine that it would, that I would be sitting next to this soul on this flight, you know? Yeah. And I also feel like how normal is it for a, a partner of an actor to have to fly? Like some people like I could never. So when I tell people, oh yeah, we flew with all of our babies when they're around six or seven weeks old and people yeah. are like, what? There's nothing <laughs> that could make me do that. I'm like, well, we kind of just, you have you to, have to. you yeah. actually have to do the thing that you think you'll never do. Um, right. And I've actually been so lucky because Brenton's so, um, you know, like he knows that, you know, like I've loved being in Australia. I've loved not having to go anywhere or do anything during certain times oh. and he's kind of really honoured that. But, yeah, sometimes you just have to do things that you don't think you would want to do because if you Absolutely. don't, it's like their whole job is, you know, that whole project's out the door. They have to say no. Right, right. Yeah, it's it's daunting for sure. I feel like I, I remember flying to and from South Africa with all the kids and I had Alan with me. So that was nice. Um, but they were they would have been three, two and six months old when we flew there. And I remember actually it was on the way back. So on the way back, they were four, two and a half and a year old. So the difference between the six month old in July when we flew there 
and the one-year-old in December was that he was no longer nursing um, in December and he could walk. So it was like, yeah. there was no, it was a worst combination for a 24 hour flight, you know, itinerary. Um, I remember at one point turning to Alan and saying, it would be merciful if God took this flight down right now, because well, our kids were like all screaming at the same time, you know, like there was no ending. And there was this woman in also in business class who made it a point to say loudly, like she went up over her seat, gosh, what's going on with those kids? And it's just oh like, do you want to take one? No. Cause you can, that's my worst like, right. please, please. Like right. if you can do a better job, I am open to it. Take. Exactly. Oh my gosh. So oh have you gosh. guys like you have always gone with Alan haven't you what did you guys end up doing when like I I know this is you know like a challenge that we share is like school age kids and the job um the biz and I know that you obviously came to Toronto when I was there and the boys were in school and then you decided to homeschool I think it was because of COVID too yeah right COVID kind of pushed us into homeschooling and then I realized well I should say as a disclaimer that we've gone back and forth just based on Alan's workload. If we're going to be somewhere for six months, sometimes we just, we don't have a, a rule book necessarily. We truly cross each bridge as we get there. And I think that's the big life lesson um, is that when we try to, it's almost like, we sit around and powwow and try to come up with a company policy for what we're going to do in all these different scenarios. And there's just no way to do that. It can feel, that's when it starts to feel overwhelming. It feels like none of this is ever going to work. And this job doesn't line up with having a family or having kids. I mean, it, it can, it will work, but when you try to solve all the problems over the course of, the 18 years, like as of today, what are we going to do for the next 18 years? That gets our wheels spinning, mm, you know? Um, you just can't I realize know. We, yeah, you can't know. And you just have to work with the information that you have. And that's actually something I realized this past season when Alan was filming Reacher season two, where we were homeschooling in the fall. And then by December, our oldest was really missing school. And to his credit, um, he's the one who spent the most time in school. So he knows what he's missing, I guess. The other two don't really know what they're missing. Um, My middle, uh, he got pulled out of kindergarten for COVID. So it's never really been all that stable for him. Whereas Caleb was in kindergarten and first grade. And I think he was in second when when COVID hit. I don't know. Um, So my point is, um, in December, after homeschooling for the fall, Caleb was really talking about how much he missed his friends and how he wished he could go back to school. So we had a family meeting about that and decided that we would try out public school in Florida, like go back to our home base while Alan finished out Reacher season two. So he was there January, February without us. Um, And we... I like to treat big life changes as an experiment because it helps my mind process what it is. It helps me when I, when it's not going well and I think to myself, 
why did we do this? This is terrible, whatever it is. Um, I, I remind myself, oh yeah, this is just an experiment. <laughs> you know, I'm like, and I'm taking down results. Um, <laughs> and that just helps me get through it a little better. Um, so it was an experiment that we were doing to put the kids back in school down in Florida. And I was secretly hoping that they would hate it. And they'd be like, we want to be homeschooled again. Um, they didn't hate it, or at least Caleb didn't hate it. I mean, they go to a great school in Florida. They have great teachers, super flexible. They're very understanding about um, Alan's work. And they like, you know, for spring break, for instance, they let us take a week off before spring break, then obviously spring break, and the week off after spring break so that we could go to Turkey where Alan was filming this past spring. So they're very flexible in that regard. And they like helped me get all the work ready so that we could work on it while we are gone. Um, I'm sorry, what was I talking about? <laughs> Navigating schooling while, yeah. while no, you're, okay. yeah. Yeah, so, so the experiment of putting them back in school, for them, it was good. It was the best for my oldest. The other two were happy to go back to forest school, which Chloe, you did, mm. right? Yeah, in the kids Toronto? went okay, to forest yeah. school in um, so, Toronto and they absolutely loved it they always ask yes. like when are we going back because they wanted to go yes. to school this year and now oh, they're like so when's this finishing like assuming that this is going to be finishing soon because like all things up until this right. point in time in their life everything has been very temporary and fleeting but now yes. they're at this school and they're like we've been here a while <laughs> is this going to be are we wrapping this up anytime soon <laughs> right, right. which is also oh, interesting because like I feel like your boys would maybe relate like you go somewhere and do something for a while and you're with a new group of friends and fresh faces and then suddenly like you leave them and you go to the next thing yeah. and everything is very temporary which is like there are many positives to it, but then I guess the lacking is like your community and those solid grounded connections and community that, you know, is also amazing. But, Absolutely. Um, and I think I actually, what I foresee being our biggest problem is going to be working through real relational issues because we're not like, if somebody's annoying in a class, we just leave in two months, you know, <laughs> But in real life, you have to deal with that person for however long that class is, you know. Um, and I see that being something that I'm trying to, like, be mindful of that when we have conversations, when, you know, when they have relational issues with somebody on, like, in a summer camp or something. Um, trying not to be like, well, don't worry, because we're going to be gone in a month, yeah. you know, because <laughs> that's not really how to deal with life, right? Mm. Um so yeah, anyway, we decided um, after after we came back down to Florida for school in the spring that the experiment failed. And it's not because they didn't enjoy public school, but two out of three would have preferred forest school. Um, Caleb loved forest school, but he was the oldest by quite a bit. Yeah. And so he just didn't have any peers. But the big reason it failed is because Alan kind of fell apart with us all not being together. It just didn't work. And if that doesn't work, then we have to regroup, you know, mm -hmm. because it's got to be that Alan and I are like facing forward side by side. Um, and yeah, him being apart from his family, it just, it didn't it work. It just doesn't well. work. And I mean, no, it doesn't work. And um, it worked for the boys for a little bit, but I, they can't see what's ahead. Like, 
I can always see uh, a few months into them being away from Alan, I can always see the behavioral things beginning, um, which is the lack of his input, really. You know, mm-hmm. it's like he's the daddy lion. He not only plays with them in a way that they need for their brains, but he corrects them in a way that they need for their humility and, um, you know, to become men, basically. So that's, I can see the deficits begin. That's something um, so big for them too because they they are at that age, like as of seven, eight, they're like, you know, they're really in mum's world up until seven or eight and they really need, yes. you know, mum's presence and mum's nurturing and all of that. But I guess all of your boys now are like past that point where like dad's presence is really necessary and like especially for boys like I think there are tribes where you know the kids will stay with mum and the boys will stay with mum till seven eight and then they are with the men and like that is like the transition right so yeah yeah but it is like like I'm you know, in Steiner, which is the education route we've taken, um, from seven, eight, like all kids, but especially boys, need need that male presence. They need like it it gives them more than what mum's nurturing does. Mm, right. But yeah. I mean I like even I feel like when we've spent like we did two months apart, which is the longest, and then after that we decided that we'll never ever do anything like that again because it was just so brutal and not just because it's a long time and because behavior changes and like all the things but kids just disconnect from their dads and it's so important to not create that disconnection and I feel like it's very unintentional obviously but when you take two months away from your dad it's it happens like there's a negative impact for sure so yeah I feel like we share that value to not you know, being together is the most important thing, even though yeah. that could look so chaotic, like moving countries, moving to Turkey, right. moving to Bulgaria, like we've done it. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. And do you find Chloe with Brenton, like for Alan, he, you know, he's very sensitive as, as masculine as he is, he's sensitive. He needs to be needed. And it's like, you know, a natural human instinct. I think that sometimes if we are almost like, going along in life too well, separated, it hurts him, you know, and Mm -hmm. he starts to feel um, useless, you know, and it takes away his purpose and he has to have, men have to have, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, So, yeah, that's what we found uh, most recently in our most recent experiment. (laughs) (laughs) That's a really interesting observation. We obviously... In my family, our dynamic, we don't spend that much, like those bigger gaps apart. But um, Togga works away quite a bit still. He'll do like a week there, here or a couple of days. I mean, he's going over to Europe soon. Um, but I definitely see it in his, like in his demeanour when trips coming up and he's about to go away, like his, his energy changes and it's um yeah I mean it's so easy as 
a woman to be like, yeah, well, you know, you get a break from kids, which is <laughs> something that people, you know, we're all inclined to say. But at the same time, yeah. you know, there's like that that heart pull for yeah. them that they're going to be away from their family and it's such, it's still like you're still a nuclear family. Like it's you're still part of, mm. you know, that's part of you that you're leaving. So, um, yeah, I can I can relate to that smidge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, I think also I, um, you know, it's hard to relay to them when they're working, especially so busy, all the times that they come up in conversation with the kids when, you know, you're doing life together. You know, the kids are constantly saying that they miss dad or saying, oh, I wish dad were here to fix that or whatever. Um, But uh, it's not like at the end of the day, I have the 24 times it was talked about, written down, you know, mm. for him to like really reassure him that, no, you're part of this family. You're mm. wanted and you're I mean, needed. Yeah, yeah, and we're missing a part of us when you're away too. Mm. Like it's Absolutely. not just, yeah, Absolutely. there's definitely a synergenic. Yeah. And you know what? I'm actually guilty of saying, and this has really just struck a chord with me because I'm often say like, you know, sometimes it's easy when Brenton's gone because I like run a tight ship and everyone's like in bed. There's no bullshit. It's just like boom, right. boom, boom. And I've said that and now I'm he- I'm hearing this conversation. I'm like, damn, damn it. <laughs> no, I, I know exactly what you mean. I mean, also there's just a very practical sense of like Alan eats for four people. So when he... <laughs> Is oh my not gosh. there. I believe I have, you. Yeah, I can make a pot of soup and it'll last like five days. And the resistance <laughs> I, I get instead of having to make extra food if he were here is that I'm forcing my kids to eat chili for a week, you know, like you're gonna <laughs> eat it. Um, but yeah, I mean, there, there's those very small things that are not, you know, of course they're like more meaningful than having to make extra dinner at night. But yeah, yeah. those small things that just, you know, you get into this routine, you kind of like buckle down and go through the hurricane, even though it might not be a pure hurricane, but yeah, Mm. it feels like the time away from them is certainly a deficit that you just cope with. Mm. Um, Go ahead. I have, I have a bit of a question and I I think I've spoken to you about this as Mm. well, but I'd love to hear your perspective, Kat. So I mean, for the average person out there, and I wouldn't know what that's like, but um, <laughs> when you're when you're a mother, you've got multiple children and and your partner. There are so many things just in that scenario, so many issues that occur, so many trials and tribulations to navigate. Then, in your experience, like throw in travel, which is just a huge thing that I don't think any of us consider fully unless we sit down and break for a second. But then also like throw in Hollywood and this, like it's a huge, yeah, but like that is a huge big boulder of an issue that, right. yeah, like like I, I mean I think I need to protect my children from, you know, so many so many I just I want to protect their childhood like that's one of my massive things at the moment I want my kids to have a childhood today's day and age is so hard to do that but when you've got Hollywood where you've got kids that are being exposed to so much and you guys are out there like Alan is well known um and 
And yeah, you guys are like really thrown into that. So it would just add an extra layer of how do I protect my kids? How do I protect myself? Like that's a lot of external energy coming your way. So I was just wondering how you go about navigating that hurdle, (laughs) that big thing. Well, I mean, I will say from an early age, we had the boys visit set as much as possible for the sake of um, them just getting to see how it's done, you know? Mm-hmm. And I remember distinctly um, bringing them on the set of Blood Drive, which was, <laughs> we were in South Africa, there's a show called Blood Drive. Uh, it's, it was a fun show, but it's kind of a grindhouse. In retrospect, it probably wasn't the best set for them to come visit. Um, it basically cars run on human blood. Um, oh, and at one point, <laughs> wow. Okay, and, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> yeah. Um, Who thought at, of that? At one, I know, I know. Um, at one point, I think it was Eden saw on set and it wasn't like it wasn't like a horror movie i don't know i guess like it it probably wasn't the best uh day for him to visit set there were all these prosthetic arms and legs heads and stuff and it was like you know he he saw one and he started crying and i had no idea that we were like walking into something like that um other than the set that other than the fact that the show was called blood drive but um in that regard, we've always tried to just show them how it works so that they don't have to be scared or, or I mean, the thing that um, probably bothers me the most, and therefore I'm the most determined to demystify, is the glorification of celebrity, you know? Mm. Um, like, the idea, I mean... It's a bad thing inherently to look up to someone, but it's so easy to look up to a celebrity and you're only, you, you only have this much information and you only, um, you also are only aware of like what's in your brain about that person. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, your it's perspective. The filter of, yes, exactly. Yeah. It's through the filter of your life experience that you are experiencing the existence of that person, which is um, just leads to this idolization that grows into an objectification. It doesn't even have to be a sexual thing, but like there's this objectification of celebrity that I am determined for my kids to not experience you know um and i think that we're in the prime yeah yeah you're about to say what i was gonna say which i think you're in like the best position to be able to show that too so yes mm. right exactly yeah that's um that's a perk for sure Mm. so yeah i know what you mean i guess when it comes to the scary side of hollywood or even like i mean not that we let them watch anything, you know, with explicit scenes or anything, but even like sexualization of Hollywood, um, you know, they're aware that Alan has to kiss somebody else in a scene. 
Mm. And it's so funny though. It's actually never come. They've never said like, mom, how do you feel about that? Or anything. Oh my God. Well, I'm glad you I brought actually, this up because some, so many people want to know about this. Oh and yeah. They've asked That's me to ask you and they always ask me too. Like, oh, how do you cope with the sex scenes? And I'm like, well, yeah. uh, you share your, your side and then I'll okay, it. I'll go first. It might be okay. more interesting. Well, my, my perspective is, um, I, I do not, I mean, look, I don't want Alan to be in a porn, but <laughs> I don't care what happens in front of the camera. It does not bother me. I understand that it's a part of the story. Um, and I also know that it's not real, you know, it's not, um, it's for the art, it's for the storytelling, but I do care what happens behind the camera, mm. you know? Um, and I think that in Hollywood, you have to be, you just have to hold yourself to such a high standard because there's um, there's so many people who go there who who are on set just to work, but then there's some people who aren't there just to work. Like some people have a bit of a summer camp mentality, you know, mm-hmm. and you just hope that the scene partner is there to work, you know? Like I have to trust not only Alan, of course, um, but I also have to trust the scene partner, mm-hmm. you know? And um, there is trust that is implicit in that. It's not so much, it's not the same kind of trust I have for Alan because I know Alan made a vow to me. It's more like the kind of trust that you have for your waiter not to spit in your food, Mm. you know? (laughs) It's like (laughs) an expectation. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. It's like if you've ever been to a set and you see how awkward it is, it's like a hundred lights and there's a hundred people yeah. and often the, the woman is like pretty shit scared and not that into right. it, not that into being completely exposed right. to so many people. Um, but it's awkward. And so it's not it real. Is. And I actually take my hat off to them for yeah. making it ever look or feel real because right. I don't know how anybody would do that. Um, so yeah, there's like a big awkward element to it. And, but yeah, I agree. It's like the off camera, what happens and all the connections and all of the, you know, chemistry that you perhaps build behind the camera right. that I would feel more. Yeah. Cause that's, that is real. Right? Yeah. And, and that it, is real. But it's also, it's the same thing that you could foster if you were an accountant mm. at, or at a law firm, you know, it's, it's the same dynamic behind the camera um so those standards i feel like are for each married couple to decide yeah but yeah in front of the camera just doesn't bother me yeah same i um i i do wonder about that though because especially like when you're in long-term relationships which we're all in like it you don't quite understand the like like the spiritualness of it, mm. like it, there's there's an extra layer to it that's like Hollywood could never in a million right. years show and like the intimacy of, you know, seeing your partner have children, like grow a belly and a baby come out of them and I don't know if Alan ever caught your babies but actually has Brenton caught any babies? No. No, well, Tucker's caught three. So, <laughs> like, but, the, like, these things that, like, 
level up intimacy on Absolutely. on such a huge level. It's so beyond nudity. It's so beyond ass grabbing. Yeah, ass grabbing or being even like you could be nude and close to someone and it is never going to even scratch the surface of intimacy that you have with someone who you've created a life and a family with mm. who you've you know, said vows too soon. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) And yeah, like, so I feel like I wonder, you know, people who would go into that situation having not been in a relationship that has experienced all those things. And even like, um, I think one of the, like the biggest things for us was going through something really, really hard and coming out the other side. Like, I mean, we can just talk about my relationship here, but I <laughs> like me and Togger have gone through the fucking throats and I've alluded to this a billion times and one day we will release the episode, but we've, we've gone through some serious throats where we almost just, you know, called a quits to it. And the intimacy that comes with being able to build back from that and learn from that and grow, like you just like, you can't, create that with another person in a three in month. a sex scene in a, yeah like it's so <laughs> yeah. different and i think yeah that's so, such a it is a bit of a trickery when you're watching a movie or a mm. tv show and it looks like this chemistry like like it's amazing that they can mm. create that but like the reality of it is that's you, you haven't like yeah. like that's right. not what's there they're acting and yeah yeah, talking about co-hosts and stuff, like I do wonder what the difference would be with a co-host who has created their own family and had oh, those experiences versus someone who, absolutely. you know, a, a you know maiden. Listen, as, anybody, yeah. anybody who's on set, it's not to say that you have to have done that to understand this, but basically when people are there to work, they don't have time for any of the stupid little games mm-hmm. you know they're not there for that and yes if they already have a family already have that firm foundation they don't have time for that and mm-hmm. nor are they looking for that you no. know um because you're right they do know what real is there's actually a part of um the velveteen rabbit that makes me it, it this conversation makes me think of because um i'm trying to remember how it goes it's like i thought i had it uh, it, I think it's like the rabbit asks what real is and the horse says uh, it, it's a thing that happens to you when a child loves you for a long, long time. Oh, sorry, it makes me cry. <laughs> when a child loves you for a long, long time, not just to play with, but really loves you, then you become real. And the rabbit asks, does it hurt? And the, the skin horse says sometimes, um, but when you're real, you don't mind being hurt. And then he asks, does it happen all at once or like being wound up or bit by bit? And he says, it doesn't happen all at once. You become, it takes a long time. That's why it doesn't happen often uh, to people who break easily or have sharp edges or have to be carefully kept. Generally, by the time you're real, most of your hair has been loved off and your eyes drop out and you get loose in the joints and very shabby. But these things don't matter at all because once you're real, you can't be ugly except to people who don't understand. Oh and I feel gosh. like that. Oh, oh it's oh, definitely oh, the wife like, of an actor. That's, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's everything, yeah. right? That's yeah. people who come onto set for summer camp. That's people who make mean comments online. 
that's everything. Those are just the yeah. people who don't understand. They just don't get it. They yeah. don't know what they don't know. Yeah. 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 You know? And you almost, you have to feel for that too. Like, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, look, I before this, I had a massive hiatus offline and then we started a podcast and I'm like, all right, so oh, now we're back on social media. <laughs> and I didn't know how like nasty it could get. And we've had a couple of nasty comments and I'm like, oh my God, we've hurt someone. But then they keep nastier and nastier and I'm like, oh no, they're actually just you. hurt. Like mm. they're hurt yeah. and then like they'll find any outlet to like that out yeah so, well that's something else i wanted to talk to you about is like hollywood and the, the movies is like all the news and the media it's like typically hollywood actors that are married to, to each other they end up being married to another 50 people and it's pretty incestual and everyone gets divorced and everyone gets married yeah. and divorced and married and Back divorced. To that like, disposable culture. Yeah, Ugh. and so people like from the outside looking in were probably like, oh, that's, you know, like it's, that's not going to last or something or they'll just be on to the next person. And obviously you and Alan have kind of, you know, like one of the exceptions in that story. And um, I know that... It's so fucking hard to be um, in that, you know, in that world. And, you know, it's one thing to have a strong, resilient marriage in a normal life and then to have a strong, resilient marriage in a life that literally wants parts of you and, you know, you're stretched and pulled all over the place and you have to figure things out that you probably didn't expect to have to figure out um, or to have to go through. And I feel like you guys, you guys have done that pretty well and I just love to to have you speak on that about kind of getting through the shit storm of you know marriage and all that it can bring during in this world in this kind of in the lifestyle that we both live yeah man um <laughs> yeah man uh yeah certainly certainly you're high right now aren't you yeah. that's how you cope <laughs> I am on my CBD um, oil daily. <laughs> um, yeah, certainly. You know, the truth is, though, if I knew everything I knew now from the beginning, I'd still choose this road. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does, it is a call to action almost every day to remember what matters in life, you know, like, I think sometimes I think to myself, on my deathbed, am I going to be thinking about what user 19177674423 said, you know? <laughs> um, I hope not. But I'm gonna uh, say no. Is that bot? Yeah, that bot's yeah. gonna be the last thing you think about. <laughs> right. But I do, like, it doesn't change the fact that it does feel like an invasion when somebody is, you know, that that goes back to the objectification of celebrity that, that I mentioned earlier. There is an ownership of, in this instance, Alan, in some people's mind, and it does belong to them because it's the synapse in their brain through the filter that they see life and through their experience. So they, even though it might be a very warped view, whatever it is, whatever the expectation is, that he's absolutely perfect, that he's the perfect Christian, that he's the perfect Shad Castle, which is like a character that he played on an old show that, you know, was crude, but funny. Um, 
there are these expectations that these people own and then they throw them onto you in, in our real life that I don't subscribe to, mm-hmm. you know, um, some of which are like, you know, a lot of, it's a lot of women who I get comments or DMs from that are like, you're not pretty enough to be his wife, you know, which is like, I can't believe that somebody would spend their time sending something like that. to Like, mm-hmm. I think to myself, where would I need to be in life to send that kind of message to someone? And it's definitely lower than where I am right now. You know, like mm-hmm. I cannot fathom saying that to somebody, but also I realize that they are on their plane in life is one of of everlasting beauty pageant, you know? Like the depth of their relationship is such that it ends there. Mm. And I don't subscribe to that being the most meaningful thing in a relationship. I mean, God knows when you know somebody for 23 years, you stop seeing past any handsomeness and you only see them for who they are, you know? accidentally peed on the toilet seat again. (laughs) Right, right, right. I mean- Alan is an amazing, astonishing person. He's so intelligent. He's absolutely brilliant. So creative, such an artist. I adore him, but I also see him for who he is. And I'm not a yes man. Like I'm never going to be a yes man. I'm never going to be a Stepford wife. I, um, it's the Velveteen Rabbit. Like I want something real and I have to be reminded when I get a mean comment or DM or something like that, that those people just aren't there yet, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's no, um, there's no substitute for time. You know, there's no substitute for experience. And the only way to gain wisdom is through time and experience. So um, they're just not there yet. You know, I think about what, when we used to live in LA, we had, this fence that connected to an alley and these kids, I say kids, they were probably like anywhere from 12 to 18, 19. They would come graffiti the fence all the time. It drove me nuts. And I I mean, I actually wish looking back, I wish I didn't get as bothered by it, but, um, but I did. And, but I like to think about them now, maybe 10, 15 years later as they might look at that memory and say, oh man, remember when I used to go graffiti this fence? Oh, I wish I would have done that. What a waste of time, you know? And I think of these people who make mean comments or like pass these judgments as is only a matter of time before they look back and they say, oh, why did I send that to that person? Why, you know, Mm -hmm. I can't believe I would do that. And these strikes of, I guess, anger or pain or jealousy is graffitiing on somebody else's heart, you know? Mm. And um, yeah, I guess I just, I just know that in time, I might not be uh, conscious of their existence when they have this revelation, but there will be a revelation, Mm. you know? Yeah. And that's what I always think too, is like what people perceive to be who they are. So Brenton and Alan, people think that they know them and they know who they are and they know their story and they know what kind of person 
they are and how they must parent and be a partner. But like there's actually no way of knowing. It's just little snippets of the work that they've ever done or the interviews that they've ever done, which are hardly ever really a true insight into who they are. And mm. um, yeah, it's crazy that someone, a woman, other woman would be like, I could do it better than you or I deserve to be in the <gasps> position that you're in. But really like the grit, the patience, the resilience and everything it actually takes to, to step into, you know, providing a family for a person in the arts, being the person that goes with and often puts your creativity, your life, your expertise skills on the back burner. Like, fuck, that's a lot. And it takes a certain um, person to be able to actually navigate that and so I agree oh my gosh there is an art to loving an artist yeah and there are no Nielsen ratings for that (laughs) you know (laughs) yeah I totally agree but um yeah yeah I'm sure there's there's so much you know I mean I know there's so much to Alan and to to Brenton and to, to all the artists you know and to partner you know with an artist is just such a wild ride sometimes God, just being friends of a partner. (laughs) I'm like, oh, God, this is too much for me. (laughs) Shit. Like the ups and downs of like like this opportunity and oh, oh, no, it didn't work out. And I'm just like, oh, oh." like I can't live that shit. Right? It's true for for our our connections to other women is freaking hard too because Mm. like, you know, I've – you know, you'd be the same cat. Like you travel and you go through those kind of – pivotal years where you are supposed to connect to community and make those you know solid foundational friends and um you know for me I spent that time in Canada going back and forth and it's hard as women to be Uh like I'll be back and I hope we can just get back and you know we'll be like on solid ground still let me just drop into your life again yeah yeah (laughs) so um yeah that's such a challenge too is having you know, your, your staples, <laughs> your staples. Yeah. Your How have you navigated that? Yeah. Have you yeah. got a mom crew? Only, I do. Well, you know, Bianca yeah. is, uh, Chloe, you know, Bianca, mm-hmm. right? She's in Toronto. I, well, it's so funny, actually, it's through our friendship yes. that, um, Ryan became Alan's stunt double, which I absolutely love. And I'll absolutely take, well, Bianca and I will take all the credit for it. Um, but uh, she's, oh my gosh, she's an angel. I she's love amazing. Her. Yes. I miss her. Sorry. We're back with the scenery change people just because um, we, we needed to plug in <laughs> a computer. Um, <laughs> but we're G. We're talking about navigating. Like how do you navigate your oh community? Oh, mum friends. Mum yeah. friends. Yeah, mum friends. Mm. Luckily, with technology, I'm able to keep in touch with some core girlfriends who really get it. You know, um, they're also very familiar with the ups and downs and like, we're going here, we're going there. Oh, never mind. None of that's happening. You know, um, they can deal with all the changes. Um, But yeah, it's mostly through voice notes, phone calls. I actually have a girl's trip coming up in a couple of weeks where this core group of girls is going to meet for the weekend, you know, and they're all moms as well. So, you know, there's nothing like COVID to kind of recalibrate the core of 
who your community is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and for us, it was like just our family based on where we lived. We were in Florida um, and all these girlfriends are either out in LA or um, up in Seattle. But um, that was a, a reminder of just how important it is to, um, I guess, sometimes you can get lost in the busyness of life. You can start living for so many other people. And I feel like that time was a reminder of like, oh yeah, when it all comes down to it, like when it's life or death, it's family, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So I try to keep that in mind because ultimately we just have to do what's best for our family, you know? Um, Which is another lesson that we learned with the experiment of, you know, going back down to Florida um, and Alan finishing up season two of Reacher, um, we decided, no, we just got to stay together. You know? Yeah. Um, but I would say also this business really, um, it's funny because it's like this business kind of forces us to live day by day, right? Like you can't, um, we can't say six months from now where we're going to be, what we're going to be doing. Can't necessarily plan a vacation or anything like that. All that kind of stuff has to be last minute. Um, And sometimes that can feel really daunting. But one thing I realized recently is like, oh, wait a second. That's actually how it is for everybody on this earth. It's just that this business forces us to live in the moment. All the other control the idea that you do know where you're going to be in six months is an illusion. Mm, You know, mm. we don't, we don't know for sure. Yeah. So true. Um, And so I try to look at Alan's career as like the thing that keeps us awake to that fact, you know, Mm, that's really true. Absolutely. It's like (laughs) unconscious grounding. (laughs) Yeah. I just was thinking of some of the questions that we had. I feel like some of the questions that mo- basically most people just want to know how you've been able to um, like survive your marriage and your – and which I think is a good question for every marriage. Yeah. Because <laughs> not a lot of them yeah. survive these days. So, <laughs> yeah, like what are some how of the things – How do you things, survive your marriage? Yeah, like what are some of the core things that – or like if they, if they even are any like things that have just kind of like gotten you guys through – like the priorities well, or would, lessons. Yeah, you know, I think that um, I'm always fascinated by the ebb and flow of our, I guess, how we kind of take turns in the wisdom position, you know? Like when I'm being unwise, Alan pulls me into being wise again. And then when he's being unwise, I pull him in. You know, we're kind of always checking each other in that regard. Um I would say if I had to sum it up in one thought, it would be that ultimately we, we choose to turn towards each other, you know, even in um, arguments, fights, uh, the stress of life, one of us will decide, like one of us puts our pride down and turns toward the other. Mm. Yeah. know and then that in turn motivates the other person to put their pride down and turn 
And I, I think that's how it works. I mean, I don't know, <laughs> but I think, I, I feel like that's a common, a common theme. Um, yeah. What about, what about for you both? Oh, we just worked on our sex life. When we <laughs> <laughs> well, like, I mean, yeah. I guess it's the same, right? It's like what you're saying, Kat, is more like an emotional thing or like showing up to, because like if two two people are fighting it's obviously easier to just ghost each other and walk away but the transformative element or the opportunity is when one person surrenders and then the other person softens into that surrender and they're like okay well let's just tackle this shit head on and see what's here because Mm. often I mean I can I know I've observed this in my own relationship is when you know you're biting heads and one person walks away or one person's not being willing to open up it's a missed opportunity to level up and so I guess that's what you're saying is like when one of you is being unwise the other person or whoever whatever the dynamic is if someone can be like okay like let's just let's stop here and you know whatever it might look like but um Mm -hmm. yeah I feel like that is so important yeah I mean I, I think that the death to a relationship is when both people are uh, held captive by their ego, you know? Mm. Um, when you can let that go, you can start to make progress. Um, and, you know, in couples counseling, we regularly have counseling And uh, I feel like it's really important, especially in our industry. But um, I feel, sometimes I feel like if you say you're in couples counseling, people think that you're going down in flames or something. But I don't feel like it's much different than taking your car to get a tune-up. You know, sometimes you need a third party to help you um, get the scaffolding in place before any sort of collapse, you know. Um, but we're learning in counseling really how to communicate and not that we don't know how to talk to each other, but I do think that couples can start to get into a pattern of just wanting to be heard and somebody has to stop and listen to the other person and show that they're hearing what they're saying or else you're never going to get anywhere, you know? Um, Mm. so I don't like the answer communication because I feel like it's so generic, Mm. but deep, meaningful communication where you stop a vicious cycle of what about me um, that tends to get us moving along. (laughs) Mm. Yeah. And that's a, that's something that we keep hearing, isn't it? When the other person is the one that like the spotlight, take the spotlight off you and put it on your partner for a minute. Um, often we hear that that's kind of where a little bit of traction takes place because yeah it's less about you and more about them yeah and I think too like because I mean for example on the mornings that we're recording I'm a dragon (laughs) 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 because we've got to like clear the house out and get kids ready get out of here I need to set up I need to actually like wake up um and Uh I can often make a snarky remark here and there and I think something that's brilliant, which again only really comes from having spent time with each other, like we've been together for nearly 14 years now and it only comes with having spent that time together that my husband can turn around and be like, 
this is her stress talking <laughs> and right. it's not to me and he can like put that down and it's the same when he's really hectic getting ready for a trip and he gets snarky I can be like okay it's the stress talking it's like he's already feeling that pull away from the family it's not actually at me mm. and you can like just get get out of like the mud of the situation and like be up here and see the zoom out a little bit yeah and perceive it for what it is rather than like taking that on board and being like well if you're going to be like that then I'm going to be like this and which I feel is like part of that disposable culture Mm. too like we've we've had chats about um about like hookup culture and how like people are just disposable and how all of these like intimacy is not really intimacy anymore because you know you can just go well if that person hasn't got it right well there's another person over there and it's like that leaky energy constantly but when you're in a committed relationship you kind of realize that you don't want to be disposing all the time like you want to work through shit and you want to Mm. get out of the mud and be able to see people for who they are rather than just their reactions or yeah anyway (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. The the grass is greener where you don't have to mow it, you know? <laughs> um, and it's only a matter of time. You're, like the trajectory of that culture is one of emptiness and loneliness, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, I just think that anything worth doing is going to be hard, you know? Mm-hmm. Speaking of hard, Babe, how do you deal with all that testosterone in the house? <laughs> <laughs> Oi, so I did my research and uh, and stalked both you and Alan because because <laughs> Uncle was like, oh yeah, my friend like dating Alan and I I I now that you mentioned Hunger Games, as soon as you said that, I'm like, oh yeah, that like I recognize him. Um, <laughs> but I had a quick stalk and I was just like, oh my God, how do you even like go near that? <laughs> what is going on with that situation there? And the boys, like three boys in Alan, like testosterone levels must be like at least a million. And you're like this well the lone woman yeah. in the house. <laughs> I almost wonder if I'm like a person who's been, uh, you know, like somebody who gets kidnapped and grows up thinking that this is their, like, I don't know any different. <laughs> it's probably a good thing. A form of um, Stockholm syndrome. Like. <laughs> right, 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 right. I don't know any different. Sometimes I think to myself when I start to think about, number one, I don't want to have a fourth child. Um, and I also wouldn't want to risk it being another boy. I love being a boy mom. I love being a boy mom, but I wouldn't have a fourth just for the chance at a girl. Um, I think to myself, you know what? I don't, I was not meant to, I was not meant to be a girl mom. This is shown by what my life is number one, but it's also shown by how I, am unable to even take care of myself. You know, like I'm not a, I'm not a girly girl. I could not be doing my daughter's hair or, you know, all, all the things that go along with um, at least being a girl in our culture, I guess. But yeah, um, yeah I think I was just destined to be a, a boy mom. <laughs> You're amazing. Um, it's impressive. Yeah. Even our dog is a, even our dog is male. Oh, bear. And he's <laughs> massive as well. <laughs> He is. Oh my yes. gosh. Well, 
this conversation has been so lovely. I feel like there's so much more that oh. I wanted to talk to you about, but we'll be here all day. Um, I think okay. you're absolutely amazing. And to all those trolls oh. out there who <laughs> <laughs> think they know, I mean, I feel like for the last almost decade that I've known you, I've always just seen you as this beautiful, intelligent powerhouse of a woman that's just making all the people in your family's dreams come true, especially Alan's. And to provide a family for an actor, artist, musician is no walk in the park. So I take my hat <laughs> off to you, my love. Oh, well, same to you, Chloe. I've always looked up to you and felt very inspired by, I mean, not only do you have more kids than me, but you definitely <laughs> travel further than I do each year to get to where you guys need to be. And you're that much further away from family. I mean, truly. Well, thank you. You're amazing. We're both amazing. We're all amazing. Oh, yeah. Look, <laughs> I know it's a hard life. It's a hard life. Well, we live. you do have a similar <laughs> lifestyle, babe. Let's be honest. But um, mm. no, I hope that we, as much as I'm like happy that there's not a t- another um, season of Titans, I'm also like, yeah. damn, I kind of miss Toronto and I kind of miss everyone. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, maybe. It's a good problem to have. Yeah. I'm kind of, I've got FOMO thinking that like we introduced Bianca and Ryan to you and Alan and now like you're with her and I'm not. I'm like, what is going on? I know, I know. <laughs> but um, I know it would be fun for the six of us. To be, I know. Yeah, I mean, everything shoots here. So I'm sure you guys yeah, will be back. <laughs> that's what I keep thinking. I'm like, weirdly, I'm asking to go back to Toronto and I never thought that I'd ask to go back to Toronto. But like putting right. it out there and putting it out there to the universe. Um, yeah, hopefully <laughs> we get to see you guys soon. Yes, I would love that. Well, so nice to get to chat with you both. I won't be, um, I had a couple of uh, nights of no sleep before this, so I'm glad to know that um, I'll be able to sleep tonight. <laughs> I'm a little nervous. Oh, my God. We're not that scary. <laughs> it's just like catching up over coffee. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to drop that one every single episode now. Maybe it's a good opportunity. <laughs> Maybe it's a good, speaking of trolls, like I think this is a good opportunity to say that every single episode almost, <laughs> me and Kashia have said we just love catching up over coffee and validating our, 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 our thoughts opinions and feelings and, yeah. and opinions. And it's because yep. we got trolled by somebody on our, one of our earlier episodes and they obviously had some like gripe yeah they were triggered by the content that we'd shared and they didn't like it anyway they went ahead and like gave us a bad rating and said somewhere that um these girls pay for guests to come on and to get there to validate validate their their opinions opinions over over coffee coffee. (laughs) and we thought that was hilarious because it's true but we just don't pay anybody yeah (laughs) without paying but no money has has changed hands here yeah (laughs) so um, oh my gosh that is hilarious it's hilarious (laughs) we just um, keep dropping it in every episode now we mention it in every episode hopefully that person's listening and (laughs) realizes that we've got (laughs) but i doubt it because I, I think it, it was I just like blocked a them drop now. a bomb and like run. <laughs> no, anyway. Oh, look, that is it's been so lovely. Oh and um, yes, thank you so much for oh, sharing. Well, thanks all for, for having me. This was a pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to the Road to Wisdom podcast. To join the journey, you can follow us on Instagram at theroadtowisdom.podcast and at www.theroadtowisdompodcast.com. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. We look forward to seeing you next week with more juicy content.